I think of how he came so far from glory. Such as I To suffer shame And such disgrace On Mount Calvary He took my place It's that I ask myself This question Who am I? I may never know why he'd ever love me so that to an old rugged cross Christ would go for who am I when I'm reminded of the Lord's words I I could have done to deserve God's only son to fight my battles until they are won for who am I who am I that a king would bleed and die my will, thy Lord. The answer I may never know, why he'd ever love me so, that to an old rugged cross Christ would go, for who am I? I may never know why he'd ever love me so that to an old rugged cross Jesus would go for
in the Father who created all that is. And we believe the universe and all therein is His. As a loving Heavenly Father, He yearns to save us all and to lift us from the fall. We believe, we believe in Jesus. He's the Father's Existing, uncreated, before time had begun. The sacrifice for sin. Jesus died, then he rose again to ransom sin for His presence, the Comforter has come. The kingdom unfolds in His plan, unhindered by quarrels of man. The church upheld by His hand.
praise the Lord for the word of God. Amen. Aren't you glad you have something to stand on? I said Mark, but it's the gospel of John. Gospel of John chapter number five. I do want to say with all of my heart, thank you so much, Pastor, for your kindness and inviting us to come. And it's certainly an honor. I don't say that just because it's what preachers say. But with all of my heart, it's an honor. And uh, it's an honor to know your pastor, such a faithful man who has stayed true. Is this thing on the lapel? Do I need to hold the button? Breaker, breaker. There. Did I get it? Yeah. All right. Um, years ago, uh, 20 years ago, and some more than 20 years ago now, uh, the Lord called my wife and I to the metropolitan Detroit area, and uh, so we <clears throat> began to look for a school to send our son to. And uh, Matthew was, uh, he was like the maniac of Gadara. And uh, <clears throat> uh, no, he was a good boy, but he, uh, we needed a school. And so the Lord uh, sent us here to Parkview. And so our son Matt came here, was it what, honey, for first grade? Pardon me? First and second grade, I believe it was what it was. And uh, Mrs. Gib Miss Gibson, I think, was his teacher. And uh, I'll never forget the principal. I don't know if he's still around here or not, but uh, I, I always found it interesting. I had many meetings with that principal. I don't remember his name. And uh, I think it was just because he liked me so much. Uh, but anyhow, uh, I always found it interesting. Every time Matt would get in trouble, uh, as the principal would be telling about it, he would have this giggle, this kind of laugh. And uh, uh, it was just, uh, we, we always had a good time about that. But uh, uh, I want you to know that <clears throat> this church, this ministry, uh, made an investment in our son. And he's preaching for me today, Brother Brown, and, and uh, preaching all day. And he's a, a wonderful, wonderful man of God and, and uh, loves the Lord. And so he's filling the pulpit for me today and serves there with me. He's my assistant pastor, and he's such a tremendous blessing to me. But I sure thank the Lord for your preacher. And just 27 years, preacher, congratulations. Thank you for staying faithful, Mrs. Brown. Thank you so much for being faithful servants of God. And boy, we need that today, don't we? We need that today. Church, I am sure you've heard this, and I have no doubt that you know this, but that you've had a pastor for that long and who hasn't changed, who hasn't uh, gone away from the truth and who hasn't compromised and who hasn't deviated from the old path. Uh, church, you're, you certainly have had God's favor. You've certainly had God's blessing upon you and and my, what a, what a blessed church you are to have, Pastor and Mrs. Brown. And uh, John's Gospel, chapter number 5. John's Gospel, chapter number 5. We bring you greetings from Bible Baptist Church up in Central Lake. And uh, we're, uh, we're doing our best to just uh, do what we've been all been commanded to do. And that is to spread the gospel to every creature. Amen. I appreciate what Pastor Brown said about getting folks into church on Easter Sunday. Uh, we're in northern Michigan, a small area. Anybody know where Central Lake is? Uh, one or two. And it's not a place that normally people pass through. If you go there, it's because you're specifically going to go there. Uh, but it's uh, sort of uh, nestled right in there amongst Torch Lake and about 10 miles from Lake Michigan and all of that. And so it's a pretty area. It's not a place that I choose to be. I don't hunt. 
I don't fish. I try to fish. I live on a lake, and uh, I fish, but I don't catch. And uh, <clears throat> if feeding my family out of that lake, uh, if that were the assignment I had or the responsibility I had, we'd probably all die because I'm just not a fisherman. I wish I could. Uh, I don't, uh, don't golf. I don't... Uh, snowmobile, I don't ski, somebody my size, you don't get on skis. Uh, <clears throat> so I'm not up there for any of those reasons, I'm not against any of those things, uh, not at all, just hasn't been my thing, I guess, but uh, uh, I'm certainly not up in northern Michigan because of, you know, it's the mecca of golf and the mecca of, you know, hunting and all of that, uh, uh, but I do hunt, I kind of, thankfully, I'm able to, you know, uh, shoot off of my uh, deck, you know, any animal that happens to cross my property, it's just, uh, you know, I, can, I just shoot right off the deck and just take out whatever I can, but uh, I don't hunt in the conventional way that other people do. I also hunt with my car. I've hit like four or five deer just in the last, uh, what is it, honey, two years, I think. And, and, uh, but we sure enjoy uh, serving the Lord, and uh, the Lord has us there because of his divine purpose and will. Some 20 years ago now, um, we left the Metro Detroit area, and I went up there to northern Michigan, and I thought, where on earth is God leading me? I felt like I was going to the ends of the earth, you know. And uh, I can tell Brother Williams is not from Michigan. Just a little something in his speech that kind of betrays that. Um, but I can relate, brother, a little bit. Uh, I'm not uh, in northern Michigan because I want to be there or because it's where I choose to be, but it's because where God has sent me. And it's great to be in the Lord's work, isn't it? My dad used to say, there's no business greater than Father's business. And I'm glad to be part of Father's business. We're going to be in our Bibles, John chapter number five. I kind of, I feel like, uh, boy, after the names that were listed and those that were preaching in the conference, um, I feel like, uh, you know, I would have rather been the appetizer and those other men, the main course or whatever. But uh, I feel very, very nervous with uh, having to uh, kind of close out your Bible conference and, uh, but I sure trust the Lord will use the message this morning. John chapter 5, verse number 6 in our Bibles. Uh, well, let's back up, and we'll, we'll, for time's sake, start in verse number 1. Let's do that. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there was at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down <clears throat> at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in, was made whole of whatever disease he had. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. And Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case. He saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? The impotent man answered, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool, but while I'm coming, another steppeth down before me. Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed and walk. And immediately the man was made whole, and took up his bed and walked, and on the same day was the Sabbath. It was the time of the Jews' annual feast of the Passover that we find our reading. One of the three great religious feasts that uh, were celebrated during the year, and Jesus was in, the, in Jerusalem to observe the feast. But on this particular day, instead of finding Jesus in the temple, we find him instead in the area known as, as Bethesda. There was a pool of water in this area called the Pool of Bethesda. 
And this was beside the sheep market near the sheep gate. Bethesda, by the way, is a word which means house of mercy. House of mercy. I think about the scripture that says that his mercies were new this morning. Aren't you glad and thankful for the mercies of God? Thank God for his mercy upon a messed up, hell-deserving sinner like me. I'm amazed. I think of that song, Who Am I? That God would send his beloved, his precious, only begotten son to die for the likes of a filthy, rotten sinner such as me, somebody that deserved hell. And may I be so bold to say, so also is the case with you. We see here in the scripture, the multitude, we see the man, and we see a great miracle. We aren't really given the name of the man. John simply calls him the impotent man. His days were spent lying by this pool of Bethesda, wishing that by some miracle, his body could be healed and his life could be changed. The pool you and I might consider as a type, if you will, of the word of God, the water of that pool. And there are many typologies and things we can draw from this, but time doesn't permit us to do so. But uh, um, the impotent man had believed that this miracle would happen and it would take place in that pool. He had spent uh, many years staying by that pool of Bethesda, hoping that somehow he could get into the pool when the angel would come down and trouble the water. However, when Jesus came to where he was, a poolside miracle occurred and the man was healed without even getting wet. Because instead of getting into the water of the pool, he met the word, didn't he? He met the word who is the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to notice that before the Lord intervened for this man though, he asked a very interesting question. I find it compelling uh, that uh, the Lord Jesus would ask questions. And certainly I know, I'm certain that we all realize this, that the Lord Jesus did, didn't ask questions because he was in search of some knowledge that he did not otherwise have. He didn't ask questions because he needed understanding. You all with me? He didn't ask questions because there was something he didn't know, but rather Jesus often asked questions in the Bible. He asked questions of people, people that he was dealing with, people that he was working with, people that he wanted to intervene into their life. He would ask questions of them in order to get them to see some things about themselves. I want us to follow our Lord in this story and watch him as he changes the life of the man by the pool of Bethesda. You know, it's a good question for us to ask ourselves of this today. That question found in verse number six, would you look at it again with me? Wilt thou be made whole? Now, no, no doubt the casual glance at this scripture would cause some of us to sort of draw the conclusion and say, well, I'm not crippled like the impotent man. I'm not in the condition the impotent man is in. I don't have the troubles that he has. I can get up on my own two feet. I can do all of those things. And perhaps physically that may be said of you and of me. But I believe that the, the lesson and the thing that God wants us to draw from this morning is, is that you and I all are a case, aren't we? The Bible tells us the man had been in that case for 38 years. That word speaks of the man's condition. May I just say, first of all, as not as, not as though to over point, uh, overemphasize the obvious, but that is that all of our case is that we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. I believe we all know that every one of us have fallen short of that level of perfection the Lord Jesus Christ has set. We've all broken one of His commandments. Amen. Every one of us are a case. And we've got a problem. Amen, church. 
Listen, it doesn't matter, and I'm not up here to offend you, or if you get mad at anything I say, please don't take it out on the preacher, on the pastor. But I want to tell you something, that every one of us have got some issues. And it doesn't matter how long you've been a member of this church. It doesn't matter whether you're a preacher. It doesn't matter whether you're a deacon. It doesn't matter whether you give the most money in this church. It doesn't matter how much you do in this church. I want to tell you, friend, every single one of us have got a problem and or problems. Problems. Every one of us. We've got issues. May I say as kindly as I know how, Madam, you are a case. Sir, you're a case. Sir, you got problems. Say to me, so do you, preacher. Amen. We all do. Jesus asked this question of a man, and we might ponder, we might, we might wonder, why on earth would the Lord ask this man this question? Surely he wants to be made whole. Surely he wants to get into that pool. That's why he spent, no doubt, a majority of his lifetime staying by that pool. Surely it's obvious that he wants to be helped. Yet Jesus asked the question. I want you to notice some things about the Lord's ministry before we look at this man. And I want you to notice that in the opening verse of John uh, chapter 5, it says that Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And in the next two verses, we're told specifically where the Lord went in that great city. And I want you to notice that, you know, you can learn a lot about studying the life of Christ in the Gospels. You can learn a lot about who Jesus dealt with, where he went, the people that he went to meet. And I want to tell you that the Lord Jesus did his greatest works one-on-one, -on -one, didn't he? One-on-one. -on -one. And that's the example you and I need to follow. You can learn a lot about Jesus, about where he went. And he went to, for instance, he went to the well in Samaria to witness to a lost woman. His disciples went into the city and they were seeking food for their physical belly. Jesus said, I have meat to eat that which you know not of. There were some things that Jesus made a priority. He went to Zacchaeus' house to change a crooked man. He went into the temple to run out those who were abusing God's house. He went to the tomb of Lazarus to raise the dead. In our text, we learn about the character of Christ by observing where he went. Jesus went to the hurting people, didn't he? Jesus went to the hurting. I want to tell you, dear friend, that you and I need to realize and understand that there are hurting people all around us. There are people that are lonely. There are people that are, are uh, empty. There are people that have, uh, that have lost. There are people that don't know Christ. And God help us as a church. God help us as His servants to understand that there are people around us hurting. And that's where the Lord went. When Jesus came into Jerusalem, He did not first go to the temple where He could rub elbows with the Jewish leaders. He didn't go to Herod's palace so He could meet the king. Y'all with me? He didn't go to the Roman governor's house in order to get in good with the local politicians and the power players. That's not where the Lord went. When Jesus came into the city, he went to the place where the hurting people had assembled. He went to the place where the needy were. He's seeking for those who are hurting. And contrary to what many believe, the Lord Jesus Christ isn't looking for pe perfect people. He's looking for people with issues. He's looking for people who are a case. He's looking for people who have problems. And he's looking for people who know that they need him. That's what he's looking for. That's who he's searching for. He went to the helpless people. Notice again in our text in verse 3, John describes the crowd gathered around the pool. And he, he uses that phrase, impotent folk. Impotent folk. Blind, halt, withered. My precious dad, wonderful man of God, dear, dear mentor of mine who's in heaven, 
he used to say this to me. He'd say, boy, you always better preach to the bruised, to the battered, to the broken. Because you'll always have an audience. You'll always have somebody who wants to hear. Because that's the way people are around us. There are people bruised and battered and broken. That's the kind of people Jesus went looking for. Aren't you glad He came looking for you? I never went looking for Him, but I'm so glad that Jesus came looking for me. He went to the helpless people. That word impotent literally means without strength. It means incapable of helping oneself. It means powerless. The Lord Jesus came to minister to those who could not help themselves. He came to those who were powerless against their disability and disease. And I want us to understand uh, what the Lord's question discerned about this man. What the Lord's question discerned about this man. You see, among the sick and lame bodies littering the poolside, one man in particular seemed to garner the Lord's attention. Looking at him, Jesus knew the long and painful story that had been this man's life. Jesus knew everything about him. And yet he wondered about something regarding this man. And he asked him the question, wilt thou be made whole? We might see the question literally, and I'm certainly not uh, uh, saying the Bible would say it better this way because I believe we have a perfect preserved word of God. Y'all with me? Amen. I, that Bible doesn't need improved upon. It doesn't need explained. It just needs to be preached. Amen. That's what it needs. We don't need to defend the Bible. We just need to preach the Bible. We need to read the Bible. And God help us, as we heard in Sunday school, to be godly people and to live the Bible. Amen, church. Right. Well, we might think of that word, that phrase as saying, do you want to be well? Do you want me to fix what's wrong with you? Wilt thou be made whole? At first glance, it might seem like an odd question coming from the omniscient God. And isn't that who Jesus is? I said, isn't that who Jesus is? There's no question about it. He's the omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent, perfect God, the God of the flesh. Amen. He did not become less God when He was born of that virgin named Mary. He didn't become more God when He was on the Mount of Transfiguration. He was 100% God. Here, God, the Creator, the one, may I remind you, who spoke the worlds into existence. The one who hung the stars in space. The one who spoke and put that sun there. The very same one. He's the one who is asking this, blind, this poor old impotent beggar, do you want to be made whole? As we meditate on this question, we realize that it's a searching question. I want you to think about it this way. Jesus is sort of asking this man, are you ready for a change. Are you ready for a change? You know, we are living in a day and age uh, where because churches aren't sticking to this old book and doing things God's way, they're not doing things God's way. And so because of that, they feel like, well, we need to find a new way. We need to find a new path. And listen, I don't believe that we need to find a new path. I believe we need to get back to God's plan. To get to just stick with God's plan. To stick with how the Lord said to do it. I'll never forget reading years ago about a, about a fellow who was building, he was part of a process of building a massive naval ship during the days of World War II. And, and uh, 
he and some other shipbuilders were working on this massive vessel and, and uh, uh, one of the workers asked him, he said, uh, why are you putting that part there? And I don't remember all the specifics as I read it, but why are you putting the part there? And the man said, well, because that's where it belongs. And the guy said, well, I don't, I don't agree. I don't think that goes there. And he, he pulled this wad of paperwork out of his back pocket and he said, the blueprint says that's where it goes. And so that's where I'm doing it. And thank God we've been given a blueprint for how to live. We've been given a blueprint for our homes. We've been given a blueprint for our lives. We've been given a blueprint for the church. And all we need to do is do what it says. Do what it says. See, it's not about change for the sake of change, but change in God intervening into his life. That's what the Lord Jesus is asking him. Are you ready for God to intervene into your life? You see, when God intervenes in your life and mine, there's no way on earth that you and I cannot change. It can't be, be but that we will change when the Lord intervenes into our life. Oh, listen, sometimes I, I, we, we had revival. We have revival, two revivals every year at our church up there. We have a tent meeting and, and uh, Boy, we, 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 just like you folks, you know, and, and man, we're, we're just trying to encourage people to live godly and live right and live holy and serve the Lord and win souls and, and, and do right and all of those things. And I've often told my church family, the only thing that is preventing revival from coming into our church and into our hearts is because we just don't want it bad enough. It's not that God doesn't want to send revival. God wants to send revival far more than you and I probably want him to. But it's just that we don't want it bad enough. Sometimes the reason why is because we're just not ready for God to intervene in our life. We don't want God to shake us up. We don't want God to make us want to change. You see, it would seem obvious this man would be eager to be healed. In reality, the truth is not everyone is ready for a change. And very simply stated, sometimes the reason why is because some people don't think they need to change. They think they're just fine the way they are. I want to tell you that's what's killing churches today in America. That's what's killing the cause of Christ is the person who sits in the church pew and they're like that church in Laodicea. Thou knowest not that thou art poor and blind and naked. Thou knowest not. You see, the Lord was asking that impotent man simply when he said, wilt thou be made whole? He was asking him in a sense, are you ready for a change? Are you ready to stop living and stop being the way you are? And are you ready for your life to change? More than the physical church, amen. Rather spiritual. See, after 38 years, here's the reality of our humanity. After 38 years, it could be that this man no longer wanted to be made well. It could be that he was not ready for a change. It could be that he was just sort of settling into what he had learned and about life. And unfortunately, listen, this is going to be a, a, a troubling statement. This is going to be a bothering statement to you. But unfortunately, the reality is that Jesus Christ can't help everybody. He's willing to help anybody, but he can't help everyone. 
And I've learned as a pastor, I've sometimes, Pastor Brown, knocked my brains out trying to help people, trying to help them fix their lives, trying to get them back on track, trying to help them fix their home, trying to help them with their rebellious child, trying to help them with their marriage. And what it's come to realize is, is that sometimes people just simply don't want help. They want to stay going the way they've been going. They want to stay on the path that they're on. They want to stay in their muck. They want to stay in their mire. They want to hold on to their sin. They don't want Christ to intervene in their life. I'm going to sit in my pew and I'm just going to stay just fine. I'm going to keep doing what I've been doing and I'm just fine. Leave me alone. That's what some people say to Christ. And those kinds of people, he can't help. Can't help them. Oh, dear saint of God. You and I all have that heart that says, I need thee every hour. We ought to have that heart that cries out to him. We, we ought to have that heart like Bartimaeus when he said, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. That's the way we ought to be every time we come to church, every time we read our Bible. Oh, God, help me today. That's what we ought to have. But sadly, there are some Christians who they come to church, and I don't know, I, I probably you don't have that problem here, Pastor Brown, but some Christians, they come to church and it's, it's critique hour. It's time for making an assessment. Let's give the preacher a score. Let's assess, you know, whether, how the service was. Let's, let's, uh, let's, let's take the bulletin and check for all the typographical errors in the bulletin. <laughs> Circle each one. I forget a fellow years ago did that to me and he said, uh, I left a bulletin on your desk. I said, okay. <clears throat> he said, did you get it? Yes, sir. He said, did you see it? I said, yes, I did. Well, what did you think? I said, well, I put it in file 13. <laughs> well, what is that? I said, well, it's a trash can next to my desk and it has written on it, file 13, you know. And I said, but, but thank you, I appreciate that, you know. And, and, and boy, you know what? We ought to be coming to church hungry. Yes, oh God, fill my heart. God, I'm ready for a change. God, I'm a mess. Lord, I'm a case. Lord, I'm a, I'm a lousy husband. Lord, I'm a lousy wife. God, I need help to be a better father. Lord, I need help to be a better church member. God, I need you to intervene in my life. Lord, please speak to me. Amen. That's what the impotent man was being asked. You ready? You see, some people are comfortable. Comfortable with their hangups and their hardships. They wear them like badges and lean on them like crutches. They drag around their baggage, baggage of bitterness, baggage of unforgiveness, like it's a treasure to be protected, like it's something that is precious to them. We drag that garbage around. We carry it around. People that have hurt us 10 years ago, 20 years ago, People that have done us wrong, a preacher that did us wrong, a church member who did us wrong, a brother or sister in Christ who maybe, you know, maybe hurt us deeply. I've been there. Sure, you have too. And we drag that garbage around and we hang on to it and we clutch it like it's something precious to us. 
And the Lord Jesus is asking you and asking me, are you ready to let that garbage go? Are you ready to let me intervene into your life? Are you ready to repent of your sin? Are you ready to get serious with me? Are you ready to get honest with me? That's what God's asking this impotent man. What about you? Do you want God to fix what's wrong with you? Well, preacher, I don't know that I've got anything wrong with me. My wife, she's got some serious things wrong with her. (laughs) You ready for God to fix what's wrong with you? Well, preacher, I don't know if there's anything wrong with me, but I sure know there's something wrong with, you know, with Brother Dave. I I, I don't know if there's anything wrong with me, but I, I sure know there's something wrong with Brother Williams. I don't know if there's anything wrong with me, but they... You see, that's the problem. Wilt thou be made whole? Do you want to be whole? You see, Jesus said he came not, not for those who, were, who needed no physician, but he came for those who were sick. That's what he came for. He didn't come for those who needed no physician. You and I might think, when we think of that scripture, we might think, well, who possibly could that be? Everybody needs a physician. Indeed, we might draw that conclusion and exactly what the Lord Jesus is saying there. He's saying that He comes for those who know they need a physician. And those who think that they don't need a physician, He didn't come for them and He can't help them because they don't recognize they need Him. You want to have God help your marriage be better? Boy, I do. I want to tell you something. There are some times that I'm just an absolute jerk. I just sometimes I'm just a jerk. I'm, I'm amazed that my wife, some, I'm, sometimes I'm amazed she's still with me after 30 years. Amen. I'm telling you. And I, 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 I'm so glad God gave me such a good woman, a woman who, who forgives me. And sometimes I'm just a real jerk. Come on, fellas. I know probably you're not that way. You're perfect, I'm sure. I mean, I can see your halo shining from here, you know. I mean, we've all got problems, and I want to be a better husband. Don't you, fella? Sir, I want to be a better husband. I want to lead my family right. I want to lead my wife, and I want to lead my children, not by what I say, but by what I do. I want to lead them, and I want to be a better husband. I want to be free. Don't you want to be free from doubts and worries? Oh, you think about how doubt and worry cripples the Christian Do you want Christ to break that bondage in your life? Or have you gotten comfortable with your condition? I find the longer I pastor and the more that I see Christians who are literally plagued with bitterness. Christians living lives of bitterness. Harboring and holding things. Holding on to things that, that they just can't seem to let go of. Things that someone did to them years and years ago. I want to tell you, dear saint of God, you can be made whole. You can, you can, if you'll let the Lord help you, you can get rid of that trash, that garbage in your life that's so tainting your spirit. It's such a cancer. And it's so diseasing your, it's so infecting, it's so consuming your life. And you can put on a smile all day long if you want to. But I want to tell you, friend, that old bitterness, that unforgiveness is going to destroy you from within. It's going to ruin your life. Bitterness towards people. There are Christians running around bitter at God. Bitter at God. 
My brother Eric is out preaching in Holyoke, Massachusetts this week. God called him out there to start a church. Just a kid. I mean, he was 21 years old. Went out and started a church in a town. No, no, no Bible-believing Baptist church at all. A town of about 50,000 people. God called him out there and he built a work there with God's help and sent his son, his eldest son, Eric, sent him off to go to Bible college to Midwestern. Eric John came home on a, uh, a Wednesday before Thanksgiving. Celebrated Thanksgiving with his parents uh, in uh, November of 2003. And he left his home that <clears throat> Friday morning after Thanksgiving and told his dad, he said, Dad, I, <clears throat> I've got to get back to college, but I want to go, I want to go get some things checked on my car. So I want to get the oil changed and all of this. And wonderful young man, loved the Lord. And Eric John, <clears throat> my brother's eldest son, left their home that morning and drove down a familiar road, a road he'd been on many, many times. And it was a little bit wet, just had a fresh rain and Eric John didn't negotiate a curve uh, properly and his uh, truck went off the road and slammed into a tree and God took that boy. God took him. I want to tell you today that my brother's not bitter at God. He loves the Lord. Still serving God. There's things we can get bitter at God about. Hurts. Things that God allows into our life. Things that God does or He permits. There's sometimes Christians running around bitter at Him. Well, I tell you, dear friend, He wants to heal you of that. He wants, to, he wants to be a physician to your soul. But see, He will not force Himself or His help on anyone, will He? He won't do that. You're here today and you don't know the Lord is your Savior. You don't know Christ. You don't know what it means to have that peace which passeth all understanding. You're here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior. And may I say, dear friend, I don't mean to say this in a... In a in an uncaring way, but it doesn't matter how long you've been going to this church. It doesn't matter how long you've been going to some other church. It doesn't matter how religious you are. What matters is, is what have you done with Christ? Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior? God the Father said in 1 John chapter 5 that those who don't believe His record do not have His Son. But those who believe the record that He hath given of His Son, they have eternal life. And you either have Christ or you don't. You've either trusted Christ as your Savior or you haven't. I believe I'm preaching in a church where you know full well that it's not about what we do and it's certainly not about being baptized and it's not about the good works that we do and it certainly isn't about being a church member. Amen. But it's about rather, uh, the Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. See, if you're here today and you don't know Christ your Savior, I must present that question to you. Wilt thou be made whole? Uh, are you ready? Are you ready for the Lord to intervene into your life? And are you ready to just give up and give over and let Him have your heart? Are you ready to do that? Or how long are you going to play a game? How long are you going to live a lie? How long are you going to go on in your own righteousness? I must warn you, dear friend, as the preacher of the gospel, that there's coming a day where you're going to stand before the crucified Christ. You're going to give an answer. And if you don't have His precious blood applied to your life, he will say to you, depart from me, you work of iniquity. I never knew you. It won't matter to him how long you've been going to Parkview Baptist Church. And it won't matter to him how many times you've been baptized. And it won't matter to him how much money you've given to the church. And it won't matter to him what you've done or how you've served or any of those things you've done. All that will matter to him is what have you done with him? 
Have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? Jesus, you know, he, he said to that, to that impotent man, wilt thou be made whole? I want to tell you, I'm reminded of that scripture. Go with me to Revelation chapter 3, and we're almost done. Revelation chapter 3. Go with me, please. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. You know the scripture there. Familiar story in the Bible. Familiar account in the Word of God. The vision that John the Revelator saw. I want you to notice verse number, it's talking about the church of Laodicea. I want you to notice in verse 15, I know thy works. I know thy works. You see, Jesus knew all about that impotent man, didn't he? Didn't he? He knew all about, he knew his whole story, didn't he? And you know what? The same is true of us. He knows all about you. He knows all about your story. He knows all about what's happened to you and me. He knows all about the things that you and I are holding on to. He knows all about the secret things we did last night. He knows all about where you went this week. He knows all about what you looked at. He knows all about what you've said and what I've said. He knows all about it. You know, I know thy works. And you know what? Despite that, he wants to be involved in your life. Despite that, he wants to intervene into our lives. You see, the question then becomes, was, was this man prepared to say yes to Christ? Notice in verse 15, I know thy works that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. You see, the most miserable person in this room is the person who's saved and who is living a life of being estranged from Christ. The most miserable person in this room is the saved person who is coming into the doors of the church feigning a godly life, feigning a close walk with Christ, feigning a love for the Lord, and yet inside... They've got disease, sickness, issues, problems that they will not service after service after service, Bible conference after Bible conference, revival after revival. They will not let the Lord change them. They will not get to this altar and let God intervene in their life. I was out in Oklahoma City preaching recently and went out door to door with the pastor of the church. And aren't you glad to be part of a church that still goes door to door? Amen. Amen. That's what the Bible said to do. Amen. And I went out door to door with the preacher and began to talk to a young man. And, you know, I could see, I could see just from looking at him that, boy, he had some problems. I could see that he was a drug addict and had issues and had problems. And boy, I'm tell you, dear friend, my heart broke for him. In the moments of just, just a few phrases of conversation, God broke my heart for that young man. I began to talk to him about the Lord and talk to him about his sin. And he readily admitted, Pastor, that he was a sinner. I didn't have to convince him of that. I didn't have to go through the whole Ten Commandments and all that. He readily knew and understood that he was a sinner. And then I began to talk to him about how God loves him. 
And I could see his heart soften. And I could see him responding to the realization that God loves him no matter what he's done. And all God's people said, Amen. No matter what he's done, God loves you, sir. And he sent his only begotten son. And he wants you. And I'm telling him all that from the gospel. And I brought him to the point. I said, wouldn't you like to trust Christ as your Savior? Wouldn't you like to, and I said, I had my New Testament. I said, wouldn't you like to take this New Testament right now? I said, you hold on to this side. And I said, wouldn't you like to pray and trust Christ as your Savior? And he stepped back like this. And he stepped back again into his doorway. It was a hallway. It was a kind of a little, little porch area with stairs going up to his apartment. He stepped back and, and I called him by name. I said, Jason, what? He said, no, no. And I said, why? You know what he said to me? He said, because I know that if I do that, that I can't keep living the way I'm living. He said, I know that if I do that, I can't live with my girlfriend anymore. And here's what he said. He said, I know that if I do that, I can't keep having the fun that I want to have. I want to tell you, men, I appreciate young, that young man's candor and honesty. Come on. I believe that's sometimes the mark of a man. Is at, least, at, least, at least I can say about that young man that he was real and he was genuine. Amen? He was honest. He didn't stand there and make some phony, lousy excuse and didn't, didn't say, didn't something def deflect or dissemble, or, but he was just straight up honest. I appreciate that honesty. My heart broke for that young man. But you know what? That's sometimes what not only do the lost do because they know, but sometimes Christians, we do that. We're not going to go to an altar. We're not going to repent. We're not going to get right with God. We're not going to give up our sin because I know that if I do, that God is going to intervene in my life and I can't keep going the way I've been going. I can't keep doing what I've been doing. Wilt thou be made whole? Can I remind you that the reason Jesus works, look at John chapter 5 again with me. There's something God wants to do in your life and there's one overwhelming, enduring reason why he wants to do it. Why does God want to intervene in your life and mine? Well, there are, there are preachers today, uh, one of them I call Blinky Boy. There are preachers today who would tell us that God wants to intervene in your life because he wants to have you, make you just better. He wants you to have your best life now. And he wants you to be a winner and he wants you to just, he wants you to be happy. That's why God wants to intervene in your life. Because he wants to make your life comfortable. And he wants to make your life happy. And he wants to give you everything. And God wants to, he just wants to make you content. And, and he wants to make you a, a, a victor. And well, there's some truth to those things. But I'm here to tell you that God doesn't want to intervene in your life necessarily to make you comfortable. God doesn't want to intervene in your life. You know what? God didn't, call, God didn't save us to make us happy. He saved us to make us holy people of God. I remember somebody asking my little sister, Althea, Althea Nordquist, her and her husband Jeff are missionaries in Brazil. Been there 18 years, hacking it out in the southernmost part of Brazil where a lot of missionaries do not want to go. Somebody asked my little sister, they said, Mrs. Nordquist, are you happy in Brazil? My sister said, happy. Happy. What on earth does that have to do with the will of God? Well, do, well, do you like being in Brazil? Like. What does that have to do with doing what God has told me to do? 
It isn't about me being happy. It isn't about me liking. It's about me laying my life down to do whatever that my master and my Lord and my Savior, the one who placed himself on Calvary's cross, the one who shed his blood, like that wonderful song the choir sang, the one who gave us all for me. That's what my life's about, about living for him. You see, that's what the scripture's telling us in John chapter 5, verse 8. Please look at that. Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. And on the Sabbath day, or pardon me, and on the same day was the Sabbath. Look at verse 14. Afterward, Jesus findeth him in the temple and saith unto him, Behold, thou art made whole, sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. You see, I want you to notice, first of all, that Jesus works and he intervenes into your life and mine so that you and I will glorify God. You see, that's really the only. The only assignment you and I have to glorify the Lord, to glorify God. See, the Lord found this man in the temple. Now that he, had, he, now that he who had been this way for 38 years, he's, able to, he's now finding him in the temple. Clearly, the man wanted to give God thanks and glorify him for the miracle that had occurred in his life. Jesus had healed him and he wanted to give praise to God. I believe that's why he was where he was. Because he wanted to glorify the Lord. And listen, if the Lord Jesus does something in your life and works a miracle in your life, and listen, if you're saved, he has. Amen. If you're saved, he has worked a miracle in your life. He does so. And he did so in order so that you and I might give glory to God. The Bible tells us that we should live righteous and holy lives and glorify God with our bodies, which are His. Amen, church? The Lord Jesus works in our lives, not only so that we'll praise God, but also so that we will be fit for His service. Verse 14, we read that. Jesus healed this man to change not just his physical life, but to change his spiritual life, to change his spirit, to quicken his spirit. He worked in him so that he might begin to live for God. You see, too many Christians want a Christianity that demands nothing from them and allows them to live in any manner they please. You know, listen, I grew up, and it wasn't my dad's fault. It wasn't, uh, um, it wasn't anybody's fault, but somehow I grew up as a teenager thinking that the measure of my Christianity was based upon the things that I do and the things that I don't do. And how well I was sort of conforming to, uh, um, you know, to a standard. And you know what, I realized... Uh, I realized sometime after that, that that really the essence of the Christian life isn't about the do's and don'ts. You say, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, I'm getting nervous. It's about my walk with Christ. That's what my Christianity is about. My dad used to say that, uh, 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 that salvation, Christianity is about a person. Salvation is about a person and Christianity is about a relationship with that person. You see, it's not about... The, uh, and Brother Williams in the Sunday school lesson, boy, if you missed Sunday school, you missed a great time. And I encourage you to come to Sunday school and talking about good versus godly. I'm never going to forget the whole Oreo thing. I mean, man, it's just, uh, but good versus godly. And you see, man, the, the thing is, is it's not about the things that we do or don't. It's about our walk with Christ. Our theme at our church this year is abiding in Him, 
abiding in him. My encouragement to my church family is, listen, I'm not, uh, I'm not against preaching on do this and don't do this. The Bible's full of those things. But I want to tell you something. When you have a walk with Christ, his word is written in your hearts and you'll want to do what he wants. You will. If you have a walk with him. People say today, oh, I, I have a wonderful walk with the Lord, but they can't be faithful to church. Liar. Sorry, throw a hymn book if you want, but you're a liar. And the person you're lying to the worst is yourself, sir. You have a walk with Christ, but you don't love His church. You have a walk with Christ, uh, but you won't go after souls. You have a walk with Christ. You have an alleged walk with Christ, but you're not serving God in the church. You have a walk with Christ, but you're not doing everything you can to help that man of God do what God has called him in this place. Listen, friend, you don't have a walk with Christ. I don't know who you have a walk with, but I want to tell you something. When you walk with Jesus, you're going to walk where he walks. You're going to love what he loves, and you're going to do what he's done. And all God's people said, the old fiery evangelist from Western North Carolina, Vance Havner, said, God saved us to make us holy, not happy. Some experiences may not contribute to our happiness, but all can be made to contribute to our holiness. You see, God wants to intervene in your life, number one, because He seeks to glorify Himself through marred vessels of clay such as us. Amazing, isn't it? Remarkable. He wants to glorify Himself through marred vessels of clay such as you and me. And secondly, God wants to intervene and work into your life and mine so that He might use us for His purpose and for His work and for His business upon this earth. A lot of things that take our time. A lot of things that we can give our time toward. Oh, I, people have asked me before, Pastor, you don't hunt, you don't... Uh, you know, you don't fish. I try to fish, um, but uh, you don't, you know, golf. You don't, uh, Pastor Brown called me and asked me, asked me about a golf thing. And I said, I don't golf. And he said, well, forget it. And, uh, <laughs> but, and, and again, I'm not, man, I'm not against any of those things. I'm really not. But, you know, well, what do you like to do? And I like to ride a motorcycle. I do that. And I have one of those helmets. It's got big, long flowing hair off of it, you know, and and I wear the, the leather. No, I, I'm just kidding. I don't do that. But I do. I enjoy riding a motorcycle and riding around up north and all that. And, and, uh, but I want to tell you something. There is nothing on earth that I enjoy more than Father's business. Just nothing. No day that I enjoy more than Sunday. So, well, of course, you're a pastor. It should be that way. It should be that way for all of us. I grew up in a home... And I'm not telling you how to live your life. I'm really not. But I grew up in a home where my parents, every Sunday, we had a big Sunday dinner. And we have people over to our home and we're trying to obviously influence folks and to be, you know, disciple folks and things. And, and uh, somebody asked us, they said, do, do you, wow, you made such a special dinner for us. And I said, well, actually, no. I said, we eat this way every Sunday. <laughs> but you know what? I grew up in a home where my parents, my mother and my dad, did that deliberately because they wanted us to get the understanding that Sunday was special. Something distinct, something unique about Sunday. My mother would put two, two chickens in the oven and bake chicken. I mean, if you eat baked chicken every Sunday, that makes you a better Baptist. Amen? Baked chicken with mashed potatoes and gravy. Amen? And corn and cathead biscuits. Amen? And maybe some egg noodles. Hallelujah. And some stuffing. Oh, yeah. Get happy now. Amen. It's time for lunch. 
you know what? You know what they were communicating to us kids growing up? Sunday's special. When we went to church, we wore some special clothes. When we went to church, we wore some special shoes. And Sunday was special. Sunday meant something. It was special. My favorite day of the week. I hope it is yours too. See, he wants us to serve him, to live for him. You know what God did for that impotent man? He can do for you. I like that little song. It is no secret what God can do, what he's done for others, he'll do for you. With arms wide open, he'll welcome you. It is no secret what God can do. Will you let him? That's the question of the hour. Our Father, thank you for your word. Lord, there's no doubt in my mind. It's painfully obvious to me the things that you want to do in my life. The things that I need you to do in my life. The question is, am I ready and am I willing to turn loose of those things? To give up? To wave the white flag of surrender? To let you have your way and your will? Or there will be a great battle that will ensue in these next few moments. That battle will involve your will for each of our lives. Our will and Satan's desires. Lord, I pray that every one of us will let you have your way. We'll